0: Sociologists note that in every culture since the beginning of time, people are inclined to worship something or someone. That's because we were created by God to worship Him. But our worship instinct is corrupted by sin. What is true worship? Is worship limited to what we do for one hour a week in a house of worship? How does the way we sing, pray, preach, give, and serve in the church help us worship God? Can worship become an extension of everything we do in life at church, work, home, and play? Jesus said, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good.
1: We were all created to worship, but who or what do we choose to worship? Hello, welcome to this Monday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, always glad to have you with us. Well, that's a worthwhile question, a critical question, because the best life we can live on earth includes the genuine worship of the God who created us to worship in the first place. But what is genuine worship? What does it look like in real life? Those are two of the questions Ron will answer over the course of the next couple of weeks in his teaching series, True Worship. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Exodus chapter 20, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Two Commandments of Worship.
0: Welcome to today's worship gathering. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Our Sunday worship gatherings are at 8 a.m., 9.15, and 11 a.m. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Those are familiar kinds of phrases that we use in churches like ours. They're common expressions. We invite people to attend our worship gatherings, and we hope they do. We welcome anybody who wants to come and worship with us at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church. Our pastors, our ministry staff, our volunteers, we all put a lot of time and energy and resources into creating uh, worship gatherings and worship experiences that are worthwhile, and most importantly, ones that uh, treasure and value and honor God above all things. Why do we put such time and energy into something like this. I mean, the weekend worship experience, we say, don't miss a weekend, prioritize the gathering in a house of worship like this. Why do we do that? Well, in part because we were created to worship. Sociologists in every generation have noted that every culture since the beginning of time, human beings have been inclined to worship something or someone. It's not a cultural thing. It's a creation thing. We were were created to worship. There's a worship instinct in us, and that worship instinct is either going to be rightly pointed and rightly related to the one true God, as we'll find out in a moment, or it's, it's going to go off in any number of directions. What is true worship? That's the question we want to ask and answer in this series. Is worship limited to that thing we do one hour a week in a house of worship like Atlantic Shores Baptist Church? And even then, as Christians, how does the way we sing and pray and give and preach and serve, how does all that help us worship God? We're starting this series of messages called True Worship, and I I want us to explore what what the Bible means by this and how we can become uh, better worshipers of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we we say we're here to worship Him. That word worship just flows right off our lips, doesn't it? It's an easy thing to say. I'm, I'm going to worship, you know? rather than worship is the expression of everything I do in life. I thought I'd start with a definition this morning, a definition that we'll come back to several times. Uh, There are other definitions out there. This, This is one that I carved out weeks ago, months ago, when I was thinking through this series. True worship is the joyous, effusive celebration of God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a way that touches everything we do in life at church, work, home, and play. You can see already that I've exploded the myth that worship is that thing we do for one hour a week (laughs) at the place uh, where we attend a house of worship. Now this is something that when we really understand the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of worship, it spans all of our life. All of life is is an expression of, of worship. So much for the definition. And by the way, you may be wondering, you know, what is a joyous, effusive celebration? If you want a picture of what a joyous, effusive celebration is, look no further than an NFL football game, and look at those crazy, wild fans who are joyously and effusively, with with great demonstrative expression, celebrating their team. And then we come to worship and we sing, how great is our God. Sing with me how great. (laughs) So strap on your seatbelts for the joyous, effusive celebration of God in three persons. In a way that it touches, oh, not just one hour a week that you attend, once in a while, Jesus thought true worship was important enough to call out those who didn't worship well. In fact, He took aim at the Pharisees one day, and He called them, hang on here, hypocrites, for the way their heart did not align to what came out of their mouth as an expression of worship. I'm in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7. You hypocrites, Jesus said. Then he quotes from Isaiah. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Oh, may that never be said of us. You know, we, we, we poked fun at the, at the Pharisees. Listen, they were professional worship leaders. This would be like saying to a professional football league or football player, you're Pee Wee League. It would, it would cut to the core just that much. No, I'm a professional. It's what I do for a living. And he calls them hypocrites. Uh, they wore a mask. That was the The hypocrite in in the play was the one who wore the mask, who played a part. He says, I hear what's coming from your mouth, those beautiful songs you sing, but your heart is far from me. Jesus made worship a matter of the heart. Before it's ever a joyous, even effusive, and demonstratively expressive form of worship, it starts in the heart. And if Jesus were evaluating the Pharisees' worship on this day on a scale of 1 to 10, He'd give them a big, fat zero. That's what He was saying to them. He says, in vain you worship with me. That word vain implies zero. It it, it isn't worth anything, your worship, because what comes out of your lips is is not matching where your heart is, and your heart is far, far from God. You know, in today's… church world and worship environment, we we put a lot of emphasis on worship music. In fact, I dare say that for a lot of us, when we use the word worship, we're we're thinking rather narrowly. We're thinking about uh, that music thing we do. And in a lot of churches, they go to war about things related to worship, the type of music, the style of music. Uh, Is it band or choir, rock or Bach? You know, do we have flashing lights and you know, worship leaders with skinny jeans and guitars, or are we talking about uh, robes and pews and somber tones and wearing our Sunday best? And when we default into these kinds of arguments and these kinds of factions and wars, we have missed, have we not, the heart of worship? I don't care what the style is. I don't care what your music preference is. If your heart is right with God, you you can worship worship in any church to any style of of music, whether it's rock, Bach, jazz, country, or whatever uh, you run into. Uh, So with that in mind, I think it would be good for us to go back to the beginning. To begin our discussion, oh, not all the way back to Genesis 1 and verse 1, although we kind of already went there by saying that we were created for worship, but I'm talking about let's go back at least 3,000 years ago. Let's, let's all, if we can, in our minds' eyes, stand at the base of Mount Sinai for just a moment. When Moses came down Mount Sinai with two clay tablets, the Ten Commandments, and those Ten Commandments were a summation of the covenant relationship that God was offering to His people Israel. And what I find very interesting and a bit convicting is that the first two commandments have everything to do with worship. And the phrase, no other gods, rings and echoes through the the hallways of history and through the Scriptures, all the way from Exodus. Chapter 20, let's read beginning in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, commandment number one.
1: Up next, The second half of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Two Commandments of Worship. If you're listening to Something Good Radio for the first time, we'd like to send you a free chapter of Ron's most popular book, Mysteries of the Afterlife. Consider it our way of saying thanks for being part of our radio listening family. Stop by our new and expanded website, somethinggoodradio.org. Click the I'm New icon at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, share your prayer request with us by clicking on Explore at the top of the homepage and then scrolling down to the how can we pray for you option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. Well, the first of the 10 commandments is also the first commandment of worship. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, the two commandments of worship.
0: He goes on to commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image commandment of worship, and this one tells us that that we should worship God exclusively. Now, we need to go back and understand the culture out of which the Israelites came, to understand the full impact of what the Lord was saying and, and why the first one out of the shoot had to do with worship and the exclusivity of worshiping the one true God. For more than 400 years, the Hebrews lived in Egypt as slaves and among the gods of the pharaohs. Egypt was one of the most polytheistic cultures ever. They they made a god out of everything. They had this penchant for creating deities to worship. Uh, They made gods of the fields and the rivers, the sun and the moon, the light and the darkness, love and war, even storms. And they even molded their gods into the form of humans and animals. Uh, Moses returned to Egypt after 40 years of self-imposed exile. You remember the life of Moses? He lived at the age of 120, and his life can be broken up really nicely into three segments of 40 years. The first 40 years in Egypt, uh, he was really being groomed to be the next pharaoh, And then he took matters into his own hands one day when he saw one of the uh, Egyptians kind of bullying a Hebrew buddy of his, and he killed the Egyptian. And when word got out, Moses panicked, and he fled into the Midian Desert. And for the next 40 years of his life, this guy who was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt, uh, went to the equivalent of a, you know, Harvard education, groomed to be the next Pharaoh, he he became a sheep herder on the backside of the desert for his now father-in-law. And at the age of 80, God God reached out to him again at the burning bush, and it was there at the burning bush that God called Moses to take a stand against the so-called gods of Egypt and against Pharaoh himself. And through a series of ten plagues that devastated the land and devastated the people, God made His point clear. He said, let my people go through His servant Moses, and the plagues… And the exodus of the Hebrew people from Egypt demonstrated in dramatic ways that the gods of Egypt were no match for the one true God. Plague after plague after plague after plague, you know, was a shot in the heart of idolatrous Egypt. But up until that time and over time, the Hebrew slaves began worshiping the gods of Egypt. They were now free from the rule of Pharaoh, and the Hebrew people must renounce polytheism, the worship of many gods, and now embrace monotheism, the worship of the one true God. And uh, the God of heaven uh, made a covenant with His people. And that covenant was summarized in the Ten Commandments. And the first one, the first commandment about worship was about loyalty to the one true God, exclusively worshiping Him. Much later, Isaiah the prophet would say, actually the Lord would say through Isaiah, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none besides me. Well, things went well for the Hebrews at first. They accepted the terms of the covenant relationship. They worshiped the one true God. However, as we all know and as the Old Testament records and even as the New Testament reflects, Israel returned to the gods of Egypt. They even expanded their polytheism and embraced uh, the Canaanite Baals and uh, practiced all kinds of idolatry, including gluttony and drunkenness and child sacrifice and ritual prostitution. Eventually, God had to discipline His people. You've broken the covenant relationship, and He sent them into Babylonian captivity for 70 years for breaking covenant with Him. But in the midst of that, He says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. He wasn't giving up on His people, but, you know, you're not maintaining the covenant agreement here. By the way, a biblical covenant works like this. I keep my end of the bargain whether you keep your end of the bargain or not. It's not a contract God was signing with His people. No, He made a covenant with them. He is faithful to His covenant, and He was faithful and is still faithful to His chosen people Israel. But they broke covenant with Him and went back to their old ways, their idolatrous ways. By the way, the covenantal demands that God laid before the Hebrew people are not unlike, well, let's just say a marriage covenant. When I have the privilege of bringing together a husband and a wife, a bride and a groom in marriage, I always emphasize the fact that this is not a contract, a social contract we're making in the presence of our peers and before the state magistrate or something like that. This is a covenant that you're making before God. Husband, you keep your end of the covenant whether she keeps her end of the covenant. Wife, you keep your end of the covenant whether or not he keeps his end of the covenant. That's the commitment you're making to each other. And maybe you remember this declaration of intent in your marriage ceremony. Do you pledge to live together with her in the covenant of marriage before God? Will you love her, comfort her, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. That's the covenant of marriage. By the way, if I if I said to my sweet wife, honey, I love you and I want to be married to you, but I'd really like to date other women, is that okay? <laughs> Faster than a lightning strike in Texas, you know what would happen, right? Not in this marriage, uh-uh, not in this house. Every bride has the right to demand exclusivity in the relationship with her husband, and every husband has the right to demand the same. That's what a covenant relationship is all about. And God was establishing this right out of the chute in Exodus chapter 20, the first of the Ten Commandments. I call it the first commandment of worship. No other gods before me. It's like the wife saying to the husband, no other women, your days of playing the field are over. Or vice versa, the husband saying that to the wife. And God was saying to his chosen people, your days of flirting around with all these other deities are done. Worship the one true God. Worship me. Now, why are false deities such a threat to us and to our relationship with God. Philip Ryken, the president of Wheaton College, uh, wrote on the Ten Commandments, and he says, the answer is that even false gods hold a kind of spiritual power over their worshipers, okay? I mean, to call them the gods of Egypt is, is, is really, uh, well, they're, they're really not gods at all. They're, they're false gods. They're no gods at all. How are you doing in your
1: worship life? As Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thanks for being here with us for Ron's message, The Two Commandments of Worship. And if you missed part of today's teaching, or if you'd like to hear it again, visit SomethingGoodRadio.org to listen on demand. That's
0: SomethingGoodRadio.org. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed Something Good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to Something Good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, Will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 828, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. None of us can accomplish God's will
1: without a little help. And today, with your help as an 828 Club monthly partner, Something Good Radio will keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you partner with us, we'll send you a free copy of Ron Jones' full-length book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. To join the 828 Club today, please visit our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org, and use the Partners tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or call 757-276-1099 if you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation to something good radio today we'd love for you to have the complete audio download of the series you're hearing now true worship that's true worship our gift to you by request for your gift to something good radio make a donation online at somethinggoodradio.org or you can mail your gift to us p.o box 6245 virginia beach virginia 23456 And you can also call our offices at 757-276-1099.
0: Now, those are just two things you could meditate on and kind of, you know, go deeper on as to who God is. He's telling them, listen, don't worship me in response to your own wild imaginations of who you want me to be. Worship me in terms of how I've revealed myself to you. And then he just drops in little nuggets of revelation. I'm a jealous God. I'll always protect That's why I have these covenant terms to protect, to protect our relationship and to protect you.
1: That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Two Commandments of Worship. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.